Welcome to the Derek Prince Ministries podcast, helping you to grow stronger in God. For more than six decades, best-selling author and Bible teacher Derek Prince has been a source of inspiration for millions of believers around the world. You too can benefit from his compelling biblical insights. And now, Derek Prince. In my talk today, I'm going to deal with the restoration of unity within the church. Let me begin by stating two basic principles. First, unity is the ultimate objective of God for the church. Second, a divided church can never defeat a united kingdom of Satan. Let's look briefly at these principles in turn. First of all, Unity is the ultimate objective of God for the church. This comes out clearly in the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, the prayer that's often called his high priestly prayer for his people. At the end of the prayer, in verses 21 and 23, he says this, and he's speaking about all who believe in him, that they all may be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. And again in verse 23, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me, and didst love them, even as thou didst love me. Notice the two successive phrases. First of all, that the world may believe, and then that the world may know. What is it that confronts the world with the testimony of Jesus in its most effective form? It's not missions. It's not evangelism. It's not tract distribution. All these are good. But there's something more effective as a testimony to Jesus than all of those, something without which many of these lose much of their effectiveness, and that is the manifested unity of all believers. Jesus prays for this in clear, specific language because he says through it the world may believe and the world may know. Then again in Ephesians 4.13, Paul speaks about the main ministries that we've been discussing in the previous talks this week, and he states this as the objective for these ministries until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Notice, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That states as clearly as language can do that one final objective of God for the church is that we all attain to the unity of the faith. So, it's I believe scriptural and correct to say that unity is the ultimate objective of God for the church. Then the other principle, a divided church can never defeat a united kingdom of Satan. This principle is made clear by Jesus in Matthew 12, verses 25 and 26. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself 
shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? Notice that Jesus speaks about a divided kingdom or a divided house and says that such a kingdom or a house cannot stand. Scripture refers to the church both as a kingdom and as a house. So if the church is divided against itself, it cannot stand. And in the words that follow about Satan, he indicates clearly that Satan's kingdom is not divided. So, as long as the church remains divided and Satan's kingdom is undivided, the church will never overthrow Satan's kingdom. Satan, of course, knows this well. He's very well acquainted with Scripture, and his supreme objective is to keep the church divided. Therefore, anything that we do to perpetuate disunity is playing into Satan's hands. Now, yesterday I said that authority is a necessary stepping stone to unity. I want to explain now why I said that. The answer is because unity flows from the head downwards. This principle is stated in Psalm 133, a short psalm with just three verses. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, even to the hem of his garment. And then it compares unity also to the dew of Hermon. Notice that unity starts at the head and flows downwards. It never flows upwards. And that's how unity can come to the church, and in no other way it must come from the leaders down to the people. Let me state a simple principle. Divided pastors produce divided people. United pastors produce united people. The division in the church, in the whole body, is a reflection of the division between leaders. If leaders were not divided, people would not be divided. Now in Ezekiel chapter 34, we are confronted with an indictment of God on the shepherds of Israel. It's too long to read it, but let me just extract the great principle from this, that God judges shepherds by the condition of their sheep. Not by their background, not by their degrees, not by their denomination but by the results they produce in his people, their sheep. So if the church today is divided, strife-torn, weakened, and made incapable of overcoming Satan's kingdom, the responsibility rests upon the leaders of God's people, not upon some, but upon all. I, too, have to take my share of responsibility, and every leader of God's people is, both individually, together with the rest, responsible for the division of God's people. That is a terrible responsibility for us to carry. Now I want to give you a brief but practical pattern for God's people coming together in unity. It's taken from the Old Testament, but the principles apply just as well today. I'm going to read some verses from Psalm 122, verses 3 through 7. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together, whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee.
peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. Now, the city of Jerusalem in the Old Covenant is a picture, amongst other things, of the Church of Jesus Christ under the New Covenant. And Jerusalem was the focal point and the center of unity for God's people under the Old Covenant. Let me extract just a few important points from that psalm that I've just read. First of all, it says Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Interestingly enough, in the Hebrew, that word compact is formed from a Hebrew root, which means basically a companion or a fellow. Actually, it's the same root that gives us the word Hebron. So the compactness of the church is in fellowship. It's in the relationship between fellow believers. Secondly, Israel went up three times a year by tribes under recognized leaders to their point of unity, Jerusalem. They did not go up as individuals. Each tribe went under leadership. It was the responsibility of the leaders to take their people to the point of unity. Thirdly, the testimony of Israel was their coming together in this way. That's why God ordained that they had to do it three times every year. Because by coming together in that way, they demonstrated to the whole surrounding world that they were one nation who had one God whom all of them served and worshipped. It was the visible demonstration of their national unity. Then again, their coming together had three results. Authority, peace, and prosperity. That's the order in which they stated. Their coming together brought them to the place where the thrones were set, the thrones being always the picture of divine authority. Then it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls, and prosperity within thy palaces. Notice, peace comes before prosperity. The church of Jesus Christ will never know true prosperity until it first has peace. So the order is authority, peace, prosperity. You see that authority is essential to peace, and peace is essential to prosperity. Now, the restoration of unity in the church following this pattern means two basic requirements, very simple. First, that God's people recognize and obey their leaders. Secondly, that the leaders recognize and relate to each other. That's all it takes, basically. Let me state those two requirements again and close. First, that God's people recognize and obey their leaders. Second, that the leaders recognize and relate to each other. Thank you for listening. For more inspiring teaching, visit our website at dpmuk.org forward slash podcast and like our page at facebook.com forward slash dpmuk to join our online community. Derek Prince, teaching you can trust.